1 Kings chapter 9. So, last couple weeks we have looked at the tabernacle or the, um, the artifacts of the tabernacle, talked a little bit about what those things meant. And then today we're going to look at the temple or Solomon's temple. Now, uh, something to understand about the temple, the tabernacle, typically when people are speaking and they are talking about the tabernacle, typically they are talking about um, the tent that we looked at in the last couple weeks. And then when they talk about the temple, typically they're talking about the building like Solomon's temple. Um, but sometimes in the Bible, you will see the tabernacle referred to as the temple and the temple referred to as the tabernacle. In reality, what it means is it's a dwelling place. And so it could be a tent, it could be a building. And ultimately, what was special about the temple, it, uh, it was the house of God. And sometimes the tabernacle, the tent, it was referred to as the house of God because it was God's dwelling place. And so uh, it's important that when you're reading your Bible, the way to know if it's talking about the tent or if it's talking about the building is just depending on where you're at in the timeline. If you're pre-Solomon, then it's the tent. If it's post-Solomon, it's the building. So those, but those words are used interchangeably. Now, I, had, I don't even remember who it was. I had somebody ask me recently um, if it was biblical for a church to call itself a temple. For example, you know, like we could be Liberty Baptist Temple instead of Liberty Baptist Church. You know, and, and I don't, I was like, I wouldn't worry about that. I don't think it's that big of a deal or anything. But as I got to thinking about it, um, you know, and I, I'm still not going to go nail any church that has temple in their name. But a church or a congregation is a called out assembly. This is, this is a church. It's an assembly. But this building is not God's dwelling place. And what is the temple of God today? It's our body. Our body is the temple of God today. But again, you know, there is a place too where it talks about the uh, church of God being the house of God and the pillar and the ground of truth. So we don't need to be real picky about that stuff. But um, if you want to get technical, uh, we do see those words are used interchangeably. So in 1 Kings though, chapter 9, in verse 1, because I want us to kind of understand some history before as we talk about Solomon's temple. I'm going to go ahead and go to the next picture just because it's a little clearer of a picture. Uh, this is like a model of what it probably looked like, like. And this is what they believe it probably would have looked like in Jesus' day. So in reality, this is Herod's temple. How accurate that is, I, I don't know for sure, but we'll explain kind of some of the details of all that um, as we get going through this. But first, I want us to look at a little bit of uh, history. So, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared unto thee at Gibeon. So right there, uh, it talks about you know this this event that takes place here. It happens after Solomon finishes the building of the house of God. He was the first one to build a permanent location, and so the tabernacle, it's uh, or the temple, it, it, or the tabernacle was actually called a temple in three different places in the Bible. In First Samuel one verse nine it says, "So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk." Now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And so this is when it was in Shiloh. This is still a tabernacle. 
but it's referred to as the temple. It says in 1 Samuel 3, 3, and there the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. That's that menorah we talked about. It was supposed to be lit all the time. Eli let it go out. In 2 Samuel 22, 7, this is David speaking. He said, in my distress, I called on the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Now, this was during the tabernacle period, but understand too that the, uh, the temple he's probably referring to here is the one in heaven because there is a temple in heaven. Now, the one in heaven, is it made out of materials like the tabernacle was or is it made out of more like building materials? I personally think it'd be more like building materials because I think they use like goat skins and things and you know there's not like anything dead uh, in heaven. So uh, I think there's a temple and here's the question. How much did the one on earth look like the one in heaven? I mean, it's hard to say. You know, it, you know, we, it, it's, we're not even, we're not even 100% sure it looked like that. This is all what people have decided it looks like based on things mentioned in the Bible, uh, based on Josephus is the big thing. Uh, Josephus is probably the main source people use uh, when they when they talk about the temple. Any, if you read anything about specifics in Israel involving the temple the geography, whatever, if it's not something that's in the Bible, Josephus is probably the most likely source that people go off of. So, uh, again, the temple, it's not a name based on the type of materials. It's just a dwelling place. And Revelation 15.5 says, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in purple and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And so, um, God in the beginning, He did not immediately reveal to Israel where the permanent location would be. In Deuteronomy 16.1, says, Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover of the Lord thy God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover of the Lord thy God of the flock and the herd in the place which the Lord shall choose to place His name there. So God had not told them what that place was. He was often referencing this place where God would choose to place his name forever. But he didn't tell them what that was until much later and God eventually chose Jerusalem. And I think it's very clear too, God always intended it to be Jerusalem. Because can anybody remember a famous Bible character from Jerusalem before Abraham? Melchizedek, priest of Salem. And that was in the land of the Jebusites. And so Jerusalem was the land of the Jebusites all the way up until the time of David. David was the one that conquered uh, and took that land from the Jebusites. And then uh, he ended up, uh, that's why they call Mount Zion that David took the city of David because it was a place that he had conquered and that's where they eventually built the temple. And we're not going to spend time focusing on the specific location today. But before I get into some of these other scriptures on this, something that we need to keep in mind. Again, we don't have a temple. We all understand that? We don't have a city. We don't need to try to create a city. We don't have a specific location like this. And, and it, so, but at the same time, because we have never been under this system, we often take for granted certain things that are really special and important to us. Okay, I believe 
that we should have reverence for the church building, the auditorium. You know, we're not going to rent this place out on Saturday nights to some comedy club where they can come and, you know, do whatever. You know, we're not going to rent it out for a dance hall. We're not going to let, you know, rent, you know, we don't, you know, we've had a lot of people over the years call, ask if they could like rent out our building for weddings and stuff like that. And my answer is always no. And for, for multiple reasons. One, if we, have, if we ever open this place up for weddings and then we like discriminate against certain people, we would probably get in trouble. But then two, I'm not just worried about the homos. I'm worried about straight people coming here, wanting to have dances in here, wanting to bring alcohol in here, wanting to have bridesmaids come up here and a bride wearing hardly any clothes. I, we're not doing that kind of stuff, letting that kind of thing happen in our church. And just understand that too. I, I like to throw this out there every once in a while just to remind people. And as of right now, I'm the main one we have to worry about because my kids are kind of of age. But you know what? If people want to have a wedding here, then guess what? I'm going to police the dresses. Okay? So that's none of your business. Then go have your wedding somewhere else. Go have your wedding somewhere else. A wedding is not an excuse for immodesty. Okay? And, you know, and because why? We want to have some respect and some reverence for this place. But at the same time, you know, we're not, it's not like it was here in the temple where there were a lot more things he had to worry about. So I, I just want to point out a few things to you. Now, so in the temple, inside, you know, inside there, that is where they would have what they called the holy place. And remember when you go inside the tabernacle, how you had the menorah, you had the table of showbread, you had the altar of incense, and then in the back, inside there, I'll show you a picture of the inside in a little bit, you had the Holy of Holies where the mercy seat was. Okay, And so, I don't know for sure, I'm not an expert on all this, but you'll notice all these other areas here. And again, how much of this was around during that time and how accurate that is, I really don't know for sure. But let me show you a few other pictures. This is kind of a cartoon type picture. So there you have the brazen altar that we looked at that was outside the tabernacle. Here you have the lavers where the priests would wash themselves before they would go inside to the holy place. So again, this is laid out just like the tabernacle was laid out. Same layout, same artifacts. It's just now a permanent location. And because it's this permanent location, Solomon too, he was very rich. David also had prepared Solomon. David wanted to build the temple himself. But God told him he couldn't because he, he was a bloody man. So David prepared everything for Solomon and they went all out and they made it big. They made it magnificent. They used the most you know, expensive things because uh, they wanted to show respect to God. So here we have, uh, so you know, right here is the temple where you go into the holy place. The holy of holies would be in the back there. And then, so inside here, if, if, if my understanding is correct. So, because in the Bible... It's kind of confusing sometimes because you'll hear about the certain places where only the priests were, were supposed to go. For example, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. So let me show you. So right here, it's kind of a showing the opening of it. So in here is the holy place. You got your menorahs, your table of showbread. You've got your altar of incense. Here is where the veil is. Behind here is the Holy of Holies where you have the Ark of the Covenant. Only the high priest could go in here once a year. 
only the other, you know, the uh, Levitical priest could go in this section. And remember, it was in here where Uzziah went. Remember when Uzziah went to burn incense on the altar? We talked about that. And that was in a temple. That was in Solomon's temple. By the time Uzziah comes around. And, then he, and this was a very holy, sacred, special place. Not everyone could go in there. And think about how mysterious that would have been back then too. Knowing there's this big holy building that like only certain people are allowed to go into. And you know, they didn't have cameras back then. They couldn't take pictures and all that kind of stuff. And so it would have been, you know, if I would have been somebody that wasn't a Levi, I'd have been very curious about that. But they were very serious about keeping people out because this was a holy place where God dwelt. They had to do everything just right. And so... um, that was the, so whenever you're hearing about the temple, often we think just about the building like the tabernacle, right? But you can kind of say when they built Solomon's temple in addition to this part that was like the tabernacle and then this court, also the Levites could only go in this, this area as far as I know. But then you had this other area that was also considered a part of the temple too. Even this area out here, all of this could be kind of considered a part of the temple and so all of israel would go into these other areas you know and certain people could go in here they had a women's court in there uh women they've never been allowed to get as close as the men to the holy stuff that was how that's how it was in the bible i don't know what's wrong with you ladies but obviously you got a problem uh because there was always an extra separation for y'all so uh you can get offended by that but just be thankful jesus blood has cleansed you. You have the Holy Spirit. You've been sanctified, and so you've got same access now. So congratulations. Uh, but you know, but earth, earthly speaking, just so everybody's clear, earthly speaking, you're still under your husband's authority. So I just got I got to throw that in there too. But um, if you ever read certain passages too, like it talks about Paul going into the temple, he's not going into the holy place where the priests were. Uh, when you talk here about Jesus going into the temple and he's driving out the money changes and things, you know, that I don't know for sure, but that's probably, it could have been like all this area around here. What pro, what, according to history too, what kind of happened to this area around here? Because this is where all the Jews were supposed to come and they were supposed to pray and they were supposed to worship and all that stuff. But it kind of just came in, to a big mall and a big market. And because that's where all the Jews came, they would also... Uh, you know, people would go there and they would make money too. Another thing, and the thing is too, and, I don't, and I'm not, I don't know all the rules. And again, I don't know how exactly accurate this model is too, but you got to understand there actually was the need for certain things to be sold. Because if people came from a long distance where it was too hard for them to bring their animals for the sacrifices, they could come and they could purchase those animals and then sacrifice them. They were allowed to do that. The problem was just doing it in the house of the Lord. That's They shouldn't have been doing that. They should have kept that stuff out. But I don't know if they just brought it in for convenience sake or whatever. But they, by the time Jesus came along, they had lost all reverence for these things. So, you know, while it sounds like they kept things pretty good in there. Remember, it was inside there where Zacharias went. Uh, we talked about that, I think, last week. Um, and it, this would have been in, in the temple. Uh, Zacharias would have been in, in this area offering up uh, the sacrifice on the altar of incense when the angel appeared to him to tell him about John the Baptist. That's where that would have taken place. So 
it's important that you just kind of keep that in mind whenever it's talking about the temple. Here we have the eastern gate. This is where Jesus would have rode through uh, on a, a donkey, on a colt, the foal of an ass. And um, man, I just, I don't want to get sidetracked. Y'all care if I get sidetracked and I, for, for a minute. All right, you remember that story in the Bible where when Jesus comes through, does anybody remember what they said when Jesus came through in his triumphal entry? What the, the people were saying, Hosanna in the highest. And what else were they saying? Anybody remember? They said, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I don't know why this just hit me this week, but you know, the, the dispensationalists that think God's not done with Israel. You know, we have so much that already disproves it that, you know, if we come up with a one passage that's maybe a little confusing, we don't let it com- completely trip us up. But something I never really had a good answer for, and then I just, I heard somebody preaching about it this week, and then I, was, I went and I thought, wait a minute, I know exactly what that means. Turn to Matthew 23. So I believe it was Matthew 21 where, that ha- where Christ's triumphal entry takes place. And they're saying, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, right? And what did the Pharisees do? They rebuked Jesus. They said, tell the people to stop. Stop doing what? Saying Hosanna. Saying, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, those people were right when they did that, weren't they? So in Matthew chapter 23, after Jesus, this is still kind of a continuation of that story, after he creams the Pharisees, he says, and after he pronounces destruction on the temple, He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And what the dispensationalists do, they make that a prophecy where Jesus is saying, You're not going to see me again until that day comes where you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then what they'll tell you is one of these days, Israel's going to say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's going to happen someday. But no, that's not what's happening right here. These people had just rebuked Jesus because he wouldn't stop the people from saying this very thing. And so when Jesus is saying, um, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, blessed be that come in the name of the Lord. You know what he's basically saying? I'm done done with you until you do like these other people did. Because did Jesus not appear to many other people? after all this took place, after His death, burial and resurrection? Of course He did. But you know who He never appeared before again? He never appeared before the Pharisees. You know why? Because they did not believe on Him. And so that's all He's saying right there. He's rebuking them for their rejection for Him at that time. He's not making a prophetic statement saying the day is going to come where you're going to say this. That is, that's not what He's doing at all. And so I think the, you know, the problem, the mistake that the dispensations are making they're making this a prophecy like jesus is saying this is going to happen no that's not what's happening he's rebuking these people and it's like i'm done with you until you do like these people and guess what they didn't so he didn't appear to them again so end of story there's no great there's no great prophecy there but all that takes place jesus rides in here he sees them selling he starts driving people out you know he, he starts driving people out calling out You've made my father's house a house of merchandise. You know how all that stuff goes. So anyway, um, having said all that, this was a very holy place. Gentiles weren't supposed to go in here. 
Remember the story when Paul went into the temple in Acts and they accused him of bringing a Gentile in. And it caused a huge uproar. As a result of that uproar, you know what happened? The Romans came down and they, you know, arrested Paul. And then they took him up in the steps. This isn't a, uh, that model doesn't line up with that. But they took him up the steps. And then, you know, Paul ended up preaching to the people uh, of Israel. And the Jews, too, not only were they probably offended by Paul doing that, uh, or by, you know, the thought of Paul bringing in a Gentile, but then all these Roman soldiers came and defiled things. And here's what's interesting about that. In the area that the Jews believe is the Temple Mount area today, they're doing the same thing as the Romans to the Muslims, where the Romans let the Jews do their thing on the temple, but if things got out of control, the Romans were allowed to come into the temple and, you know, get things in order. And it's the same thing there today. The Jews claim authority over the Temple Mount or the Al-Aqsa compound, but, when, but they let the Muslims do their thing. But if the Muslims get out of line, you know what? They send their soldiers in there too. So it's, it's kind of funny because right now, the Jews are acting exactly like the Romans towards the Muslims. But at the same time, that's okay because they're Muslims, right? And, that, that, and that's the way people would act. That's the way a lot of Christians would act. But it's the exact same scenario. It's the exact same situation. It's pretty funny uh, when you stop and think about it. But <clears throat> think about this, too. When Paul went into this area, he did it with the church. That's one thing that we forget. That early church in Acts, you know where they assembled? You know where they hung out? Here. They continued hanging out in the temple. The Pentecost was somewhere in this general area. Peter was on the, on the steps. <clears throat> um, said, this, you know, these models aren't exactly right, but I've seen some, there's one model, I don't have a picture of it, that I think may, is the most biblical one. I mean, that lines up with what you read in the Bible, but people don't like it because it puts the temple in the city of David and not... But the, all these other models, there's things that just contradict the Bible. But in, in most of the good models, what you'll have is going this direction, you'll have a bunch of steps going up to the Roman fortress Antonia, which is where the, you know, what they call the Temple Mount area today. And then it would go down to the city of David, and that's where the temple was. And so uh, it was probably on these steps over in here where Paul preached after the Romans took him, and he's talking to all the Jews. Um, I don't know if that would be the same area where Peter preached on Pentecost, but throughout the book of Acts, all the way into the chapter 20-something, the Christians are still meeting around the temple. They were just seen as another sect of the Jews. And it's just another reminder, too, that the church was not seen as this new thing in the book of Acts, as people are trying to teach. No, the church, the, the, the Christians, they were the ones that were staying true to, to Judaism. And they were even continuing to practice some of the things. Paul did the Nazarite vow. Paul did certain cleansings. Paul was doing all of these things with the temple. And we've got to understand... And this is something I'm planning on doing some teaching on pretty soon. But while we understand God, I believe God was done with this temple as soon as the veil was rent. 
that was not fully manifest to them. So I don't believe the early church was in sin when they were hanging around this temple. God hadn't revealed everything to them yet. But God was revealing it. And I'm telling you, the, the full manifestation of God finishing with the temple and being done, I believe, was when it was destroyed around in, in 70 AD. I believe that's when it, that, that old system finally had vanished away. In Hebrews, it said it's decaying, it's waxing old, and it's ready to vanish away. But it wasn't completely gone yet. It was not completely gone, and here's why. Because God gave, in His mercy, was giving Israel a space of repentance. He was giving them an opportunity to repent and to get things right and to accept Jesus as the Messiah. But you know what? That generation, you know what they never said after that day? They never said, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They continue to reject him. And we don't see this in the book of Acts. The book of Acts does not record this. <clears throat> but in history, right after the time where the book of Acts kind of ends, that's when Christians pretty much were driven out of the temple. And they started meeting in caves. This is all according to history. And, and there was, there was major, and the thing is, by, when the Roman, uh, Jewish Roman war took place, the Christians were gone from Jerusalem. And that ended up being a good thing. That persecution they got from the Jews, were, in reality, probably saved their life. Because then they weren't there trying to fight for the temple. And, and I think at that point, too, the church had figured out God was done with those things. But either way, um, you know, the, at the, at the thing that we need to get from this is the fact that, you know, all of those things were meant to point to the holiness of God. And so we don't ever want to take for granted the fact that we are able to come to church without washing our feet. Does that mean we should be irreverent? Okay. Does that mean we should just come to church, you know, looking like a hobo, smelling like a hobo, stuff like that? No, but hey, if you have a reason to smell like a hobo, you've been out working hard or something like that, didn't have time to take a shower, I hope you still come to church. You won't drop dead. You know, but because we have, we have cleansing, we have access because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. But I believe if we recognize that, if we remember that, it will cause us to want to show some respect for the house of God. It will cause us to have an appreciation for it. And so that first temple, or as, as it is often referred to as Solomon's temple, okay, understand the Bible never called it Solomon's temple. The Jews call it, you know, historians call it Solomon's temple just because he was the one that built it. It was actually the house of God. But the one before this one, the Solomon's temple, it was, it was completely destroyed. And then kind of the timeline too, this is interesting. But it was roughly, think about this, 3,500 years ago that God brought Israel out of Egypt that had been captive for over... Uh, for 400 years. And so think about it. After they come out of Egypt, it was about 500 years that they used the tabernacle. They had the portable system. 500 years. Okay, as Americans, it's hard for us to imagine history that long because our history in America is so short. Okay? You know, our minds were blown one day when we were talking to Hazel and Beulah and they were talking about their uncle that they remember that fought in the Civil War. That seems so far from us. 
But it's really not that far. I mean, they remember their uncle who fought in the Civil War. That, that, you know, so it really wasn't that, it wasn't that long ago. You know, 150 years or so, 160 years. But for 500 years, they had that tabernacle. For another 500 years, they had Solomon's, or four, maybe it was four, I think 400 years. They had Solomon's temple. If you follow the timeline in the Bible, and then that was destroyed. And then after they uh, rebuilt the temple, it was about another 500 years that they had that one. So think about it. For almost a thousand years, they had a temple in that one spot. Can you see why it would be hard to let go of some of that stuff? When you've got tradition going that long, that deep, a thousand years, you, you know, your people have been going to one place, this one building. But again, God was finished with it. God wanted it to go away. And in the book of Hebrews, he's writing for them to encourage them to follow Christ outside the camp. Because that sacrifice, that scapegoat offering, they would take it outside the city. And Jesus Christ, he went, he was on trial, and you know what? He carried his cross outside the city walls. And he bore his reproach. And everything that Jesus did outside these walls, everything he did, it was what everything they did in here was a picture of. But understand, everything Jesus did, he didn't do it in there. He did it outside there. He did it alone on a cross, on a hill. And what, and we are no longer supposed to be following these things, looking to these things. We should be looking directly to Jesus Christ. And sadly, this became a distraction. And it was an act of mercy, God destroying that temple. It has been an act of mercy that Israel did not have the land for 1,900 years. Because it's all a big distraction. And understand, too, the more Israel gets control of this area, the closer they get to their temple, the more distracted they're going to be. And ultimately, the biggest distraction is going to be when they do build their temple and some guy comes along claiming to be the Messiah. There's not going to be a revival amongst the Jews. They are going to be deceived and they're going to go to hell as a result of it. And so uh, the truth is... Um, you know, we need to stay as far away from anything as we can involving the temple. The Hebrew roots stuff, it's garbage. We ought to stay away from the Hebrew roots movement. It's a bad movement. It's full of false doctrine. And you know what? It, it's meant to just kind of lift up the Jews, make a big deal about the Jews. But it, all it does is it distracts them, getting them looking back at these things that they're supposed to be looking away from. They need to be looking to Jesus Christ and they need to turn their back on that stuff. So hopefully that gives you a little more of an image in your mind of the temple and what things were like then. So with that, let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for uh, the new and better covenant. I'm thankful we don't have to you know, worry about making pilgrimages to a city and bringing up sacrifices anymore. We thank you for doing all those things for us. And Lord, I pray that because you've made things so easy for us and because we don't have to do these things that you know, we'll uh, take advantage of the extra energy and uh, time we have to just go and bring souls to you.